Hello, and welcome back to another episode of the Glossy Week in Review podcast, where we break down some of the biggest fashion news of the week. I'm your host, senior fashion reporter, Danny Parisi, and I'm here as usual, once again, as always, with editor-in-chief, Jill Manoff. Hello, Jill. It's me. Hello. How are you? Good. How are you? I'm very good. We got a lot of exciting stuff to talk about. There's like a lot of news all concentrated on Wednesday, which is the day we're recording this. So we're going to talk about Authentic Brands Group, um, who you may know as the company that has acquired like a million bankrupt brands in the last couple of years. They have a partnership with New Guards Group, um, who you may know from Off-White and Heron Preston, to do the sort of European management of um, Reebok, which they acquired from Adidas last year. Um, We're going to talk about the uh, Yeezy Gap Balenciaga mega collaboration that finally dropped on Wednesday. And then finally, we'll talk about Macy's and their decision not to spin off their online business into a separate company, um, which there was some pressure for them to do. But let's start with Authentic Brands Group. So like I said, Joe, you know Authentic Brands Group. They have just acquired like a million companies in the last couple of years. Um, Aeropostel, Forever 21, Brooks Brothers, Reebok. I'm, there's like a dozen more I could list. Um, many Barney. of whom were sort of Barney. Oh yeah, Barney's was a big one. A lot of whom were either like bankrupt or brink of bankruptcy or sort of swirling in that direction. Um, and in my opinion, I feel like they have a pretty good track record of turning some of those brands around. So anyway, on Wednesday, they announced that they're working with New Guards Group, um, the owner of uh, Off-White, Heron Preston, a couple other luxury brands who are in turn owned by Farfetch, um, a luxury e-commerce company, um, to do, to like, it's actually two separate partnerships. One is to market and manage like all of the business, the Reebok business in Europe. But then they also, there's a second kind of like separate partnership that's just they're going to manage all of Reebok's like luxury collaborations and sales to luxury retailers, um, not just in Europe. So luxury retailers in Asia and South America and stuff like that too. Anyway, I thought this was interesting because, so I I talked to Nick Woodhouse, who's the CMO of um, ABG, and he sort of, his, his whole pitch about Reebok was that there's no reason that Reebok can't be a Nike, that it can, you know, that it can't be like North Face, one of those brands that sort of straddles the line between like, you know, it's not terribly expensive and the normal average person can buy a pair of Nikes, but also high fashion has embraced Nike, has embraced North Face and stuff. And it's normal to see, you know, Balenciaga, for example, and Nike being worn in the same outfit. So that was his sort of thinking with Reebok. There's no reason Reebok can't be that kind of brand as well. And I think I agree with that. What what are your thoughts on on that, Jill, as like a pitch for them? I would totally agree. I feel like this partnership reads as we're going to do what Adidas couldn't do um, with yeah. with New Guards Group. And it seems like it, it's almost like a, an epic fail <laughs> for Adidas. Like they sold it for um, much less than they paid for it. So they um, scooped it up for $2.5 billion, sold it off for $1.3 billion um, in August of last year, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it's like, I feel like maybe they they didn't put the resources behind Reebok that they should have. And it definitely like floundered and uh, fell and <laughs> suffered under Adidas. It was languishing there. You know, I felt like they weren't yes. doing much with it. I mean, maybe they did something and, and I just like miss it or it's not coming to mind. But like I was racking my brain. I was like, since they had in the time that they had Reebok, like, what do they do with it? I, I you know, right? nothing comes to mind. 
And when I was talking to Nick Woodhouse, he he kept using the phrase that like Reebok was like locked away in inside Adidas, you know, or that um, he was like, we, we wanted like the key to unlock their potential. There was a lot of like lock imagery being used when I yes. talked to him, Pr- prison um, imagery. Um, the sense that this is a good, and the other thing that he said is their philosophy is the brands that they acquire, there's nothing wrong with the brands themselves. It's that like whatever model is around the brand is like not working. So he was like, there's nothing wrong with Reebok itself. It's just not being handled properly. Um, yes. And and I think that's right. Like, I mean, like you said, it's just feels like it floundered under Adidas. They didn't know what to do with it or they didn't do anything particularly interesting with it. And now his sort of hope is that with uh, under ABG and, and with new guards, they can kind of do, like you said, what Adidas couldn't. Totally. It went from being a fourth of Adidas revenue in 2007 to just not even 7% in 2020 of its overall revenue. So, I mean, it clearly like it hasn't gotten the love it deserves. And this is a big brand. It's the number four um, b- sportswear, I guess, brand. It's behind Adidas, Nike, and Puma. It's it's fallen behind Puma. And it just, it had its heyday in the 80s. It clearly doesn't have a cool factor. I know for me, like um, my sister is an ambassador for Les Mills, which is kind of an, a, it's a workout company. They do like online workouts and um, they're behind, I don't know, all of these Famous workouts like Body Pump. Anyway, she's an ambassador. They have an affiliation with Reebok. She feels the need to support Reebok. So everything she has is Reebok and she's very sporty. And she's like, you ever, she keeps telling me, sending me like promo codes when there's a sale. And I'm always like, that is, Reebok is so lame. Like I just don't even, <laughs> I, I have like, there's a, there's something about it right now where they could have been like an off-white and, or any sort of um brand that's in the streetwear uh, sneaker world, um, Nike, Adidas, and and done collaborations. Um, yeah, just kept up, I guess. And it's really yeah. just been nascent. I think the the brand that I sort of, like the path they could have gone down, like if you look at a brand like Champion, which was like from the same oh. era as Reebok and like kind of has the same, a similar aesthetic to Reebok and a lot of the same associations. It's like kind of a 90s, like almost like a dad kind of thing to wear, but it's still like, it could be cool. Like I felt like Reebok should be like a champion. Like it should be, you know, one of those brands that like, uh, you know, you remember like people wearing thick, like chunky crew neck champion sweaters in like the nineties. And then it's kind of like looped back around along with like all the other nineties stuff. That's cool. Now, um, like bucket hats and stuff like you, you'd think that Reebok like should be part of that resurgence. And they just like kind of were sitting it out. And, and I was, again, Nick said this exact thing to me. He was like, that was like a missed opportunity. And so I, I think of like champion or like Fila or something like that. One of those brands that, um, I think successfully rode the wave. I would say champion probably did the best out of the ones we're talking about, uh, in in like turning their nineties nostalgia, like heritage into like something kind of modern and cool. I feel like Reebok could have done that, but yeah, they just kind of sat there. Yeah. And Puma really leaned into some some newer like they're almost like I think of them almost the same. But then they did a lot with they've done a lot with with influencers and ambassadors. And um, they've been leaning in a little bit more. And there was much opportunity like Reebok was part of like Harry Styles street style uniform. Like they could have like teamed with Harry. Like anyway, somebody cool um, as as a face of the brand or um, a collaborator. Um, but it's, it's really cool under new guards group. It's almost like 
a new lease on life. They're affiliated with all the cool brands. <laughs> Let's hear on Preston and Off-White and Opening Ceremony and Ambush. And um, anyway, this is somebody you want to be, you want to be under them. <laughs> Tell us what to do. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So I, I think that's a pretty smart partnership. And and I think um, a key point is not just like selling in Europe, but also managing collaborations like with luxury brands and stuff. Though They don't have any like ready to talk about or anything, but it seems like that's going to happen as soon as possible, as soon as they can like get some of these cool brands to work with them. Um, the other thing that he said, I'm, I'm referencing my conversation with him a lot because I talked to him like an hour before we recorded this. <laughs> um, but he, uh, I, I asked him sort of what their benchmarks or sort of milestones for Reebok are. And um, outside of like financial goals, like obviously they wanted to do well, they wanted people to buy Reebok and stuff. Um, but he was saying that he wants Reebok to be sort of a part of the cultural conversation again, like mentioned in songs and you see people wearing it in TV shows and stuff like like just a, a presence in people's mind because like you said it was a quarter of Adidas's revenue when they first got it like people know Reebok it's not one of those things where you need to like introduce them to Reebok you know like they know the name um yeah. it's actually something similar to what um Libby Waddle at J Crew told me recently where she was like people know J Crew it's not about telling people what J Crew is everyone everybody like has heard of J Crew it's more about like convincing them that it's like relevant or cool or something like that so it's less about like yeah that that first introduction and more just like bring bringing it back into like the top of people's minds yeah and it'll be interesting to see um what authentic brands group does in terms of um outside collaborators as it as it looks to grow these brands that it's recently it, it recently acquired and um take them to new markets, take them to new audiences. Um, I feel like this is likely a first um, partnership of this, of its kind. We'll see. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, Okay. Let's move on. So a couple of weeks ago, we talked about the Yeezy Gap Balenciaga, um, like sort of triple crossover collaboration. Um, And we kind of speculated at the time, but then it finally dropped on, on Wednesday and, you know, a couple looks, I think it's eight different styles or something. There's a hoodie, which to me looked very similar to the Yeezy Gap, like perfect hoodie. Um, there's jeans, there's shirts in various sleeve lengths. There's a padded denim jacket, which I thought was very cool. And the, the thing I wanted to mention, though, is that at the time when we talked about it, Jill, we sort of speculated on pricing. Um, would it be closer to Balenciaga pricing? Would it be closer to... Um, gap pricing. And I think it's like sort of in the middle. I think it maxes out around $440 or something. Um, and the easy gap stuff is like 200 or like roughly. And Balenciaga obviously is way more than that. So it's kind of like went right down the middle between the two. What do you make of, of that splitting the difference a little bit? Do you think they should have gone lower or higher? Yeah, it's, it's like 120 to 440. I mean, mm-hmm. this stuff, our our team was like, I'm sorry, I like it. I mean, of course yeah. I like it. I love Kanye and I love it. <laughs> I, this is my favorite topic here. Um, but yeah. I would just say, I think that the price point, he wants to democratize, I guess, fashion and bring this mm-hmm. utilitarian look to the masses. I think that it, it is a little high, but then when you look at how he compares his uh, his take on fashion to Apple and what Apple did. It's still like, app, no, not everyone, an iPhone is not easily attainable even though everyone has it. It's kind of aspirational. You kind of make a sacrifice and get it because you need it and you want it. Um, and it's kind of it's kind of the same thing to me. Like $120, it's, you're going to think twice before you go there for, I don't know, a hoodie, but um, you can swing, most people can swing it. 
Yeah, that's a good point. Uh, and a good point to compare it to iPhones, like, like you said, where it's not the cheapest thing in the world and yet everybody has one. Um, and I do feel like that's that could be, I feel like so often there's this um, tension between, uh, especially luxury fashion, wanting to be exclusive, um, wanting to be limited, and yet also like obviously wanting as many people to buy it as possible so you make money. And to me, like that iPhone model of like, it is aspirational, it's not easily acquirable, and yet it's so must have that everybody has to get it. Like that seems to me like the dream, you know, if you can actually make that balance work, you know, that's the best thing you can do. Um, but yeah, I, th I think it would be tough to get Balenciaga's name on something that's not like at least a little bit expensive, you know, like I, I know that Kanye and, and Demna are friends and everything, but I feel like, you know, he's still got a whole like giant luxury conglomerate behind him. Demna, I mean, to, to convince, you know, on the price point. So I, I wonder if there was maybe some concessions there. Maybe he wanted to go lower or what, but um as it stands, I mean, it does seem like attainable. It's one of those things it's like, it might hurt, but if you yeah. really want it, like you can get it. Totally. I totally agree. And it's kind of about time. Like uh, Kanye Yeezy Gap released two styles in 18 months. Like now this is eight in one, one swoop. And plus yeah. there was um, like a lookbook release, at least to the press and it's out there, um, which it's, it's dark. You can't see the styles all too well, but um, you know, you can see that there's going to be um, some, some puffer styles. I, I'm really mm -hmm. hoping the boots that they're showing are going to be part of it. There are some great boots, but <laughs> black, uh, black denim or, or leather, you can't really tell what these pants are. Um, yeah. some ponchos, some jumpsuits. Uh, it's all cool. It's all black. There's some denim. It's the first Yeezy Gap denim. Um, yeah. unisex 20 size 24 to 38. I'm like, I, the denim's cool, but anyway. Yeah. Well, the, um, the, the, press imagery like that you're talking about it. it's funny that it's like it's black clothes it's on like a black like matte <laughs> mannequin and that's on a black background so it's it's not the most readable imagery um the what i wanted to say about yeezy though and like i the the thing that i always appreciate about his design um as as a man and like someone who wears menswear um i feel like as much excitement and creativity as there is in menswear, one area that I feel like there's still like so much timidity is like around shape and silhouette. You know, there's not a ton of menswear designers who are like really going adventurous with like the actual like silhouette of the the clothes. Like it's it, the pattern might be interesting, the cup might be interesting, or whatever. But it's like it's still kind of shaped like a jacket or whatever. And the the perfect hoodie, the Yeezy Gap perfect hoodie, like to me has a distinct um like shape to it you know what i mean that's yeah. like you can tell it doesn't it's not like shaped like most other hoodies and the round jacket obviously is like literally round it is like a sphere and and like maybe you think that looks stupid I, it's like but it's undeniably like not something that i've seen a lot of other men's wear do it like something so bold like that so that's one area where I really admire him just on an aesthetic level for pushing like the, especially combined with the sort of utilitarian desaturated cut, like the colors are never like too poppy or anything, but it's more about like the, the visual silhouette and just like not making a jacket that, that is shaped like every other jacket or something. Yeah. It's, it's almost cropped. It's kind of chunky. The, it's, everyone's calling the, the denim jacket, uh, padded <laughs> and mm -hmm. yeah, it, where I admire him it, and and the the easy approach, there's always kind of a, uh, I would say like, 
a marketing moment where it's not just happening in the styles and this release. Everything is happening in unison. And even in the um, the lookbook, like this is how he's been dressing with the mask over his head, the big mm-hmm. ass waiter boots, like like take him or leave him. The, the men's boots are a little interesting to me. <laughs> but um, anyway, that's how he's been dressing. There's a dove kind of, um, I guess, motif. That's all over mm-hmm. the clothes. It's about an unnamed hope for the future is what it's a nod to. And that really, mm-hmm. I mean, it reflects what he's been saying all over Instagram for the last couple of days in his in his rants. Let's be real. Um, and then mm-hmm. <laughs> and then also um, Donda, too. There was a performance last night in Miami. Um, and so this re- was really just, yes, the, the release tied to that performance. Um, and the, the album's merchandise includes Balenciaga's um, I guess designs that was part of the the merch. Demna helped style the merch, design the merch. What am mm-hmm. I saying? Um, so anyway, it all works at, in, as one big boom. Yeah, and and I think there's been like much ink has been spilled about this approach that he he takes over the years, but like the sense that fashion and music and visual art and like all this stuff like is not separate, like they're not distinct disciplines, but that they can all sort of work together, and that each drop is sort of like a part of the larger like artistic project of Kanye West, I think is very interesting. So, but even just, uh, you know, leaving aside the philosophical stuff, I just think the clothes are cool. Um, and it seems like they're, I mean, I don't really have insider data or anything other than just looking at like StockX and goat and stuff, but it seems like the, um, the Yeezy gap stuff sells pretty well in, in terms of like how often you see it on the resale sites and everything. And then the, the Balenciaga stuff today was like all over every like streetwear blog and high society and hype beast and all these places where, you know, had an article up within like seconds, uh, as soon as it dropped. So, um, it seems like people are, are gobbling it up. So yeah. good for them. It does, seems like the partnership's paying off. And the d- democratization is happening. And also on the subject of price point, like Yeezys are not cheap. You can't turn, <laughs> turn around in, in a, I don't know, anywhere without seeing a pair of Yeezys these days. Like they're so, I don't know, maybe some people think they're not cool because they're so, they've caught on so, so much, but there's definitely, um, yeah, they're they're not hard to find, let's say. We will finish off talking about Macy's. So I listened in on their earnings call the other day um, and I I wrote a story, which you can read on glossy.co about um, their loyalty program. But another interesting little bit from the earnings call was that uh, Macy's had been under some pressure recently. One of the shareholders, Jana Partners, or possibly Jana Partners, had been putting some pressure on the company to spin off its online business into a separate company, which is something that like Saks Fifth Avenue kind of did something like that um, a little while ago. Um, and in the earnings call, the CEO, Jeff Jeanette, said that that's not going to happen. They did a review. They looked at the business and everything, and they just were like, we're not going to do that. To me, uh, again, not being an insider at Macy's, like that seems like a smart idea. Like their online sales make up like less than 40% of their business or something. So like, I don't know if it needs to be spun off, um, but it's interesting that they were so definitive about it that, that, that that's not going to happen. Um, Jill, what are your thoughts? Yeah, it's interesting. Modern Retailer, our sister site, did an amazing story, a great story that really goes in depth about why these retailers are are even contemplating spinning off their online um, business, which Saks did last year. Um, there's also talk of Nordstrom spinning off Nordstrom Rack, of Kohl's splitting off um, its dot-com business. And so it's really about the idea that um, the, the separate parts are worth more 
than the whole. It really um, underplays the importance of physical retail. I think that people, it seems like a very, um, I don't know, rash move in the last two years as everything was going to e-commerce um, and it just was kind of a play like, um, I don't the potential of generating this multi-billion dollar business with their e-commerce site um, and just I don't know, almost seeing brick and mortar as this um, dead weight or something like that. So it, it doesn't re- align with consumer shopping behavior as people are going back to stores as things open up. And there is kind of a growth of omni-channel, like people want to be able to buy online and pick it up at a store. Um, and they're shopping that way. So um, Macy's talked about that and um, the their consumer behavior, and they are doing that. And people who shop online and in-store, um, they are shopping more and they're spending more and that omni-channel customer is valuable. So like why there's no need to split this up. Um, it's online uh, business performed very well in the quarter that we just, um, they just addressed Q4. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So um, up 36, no, 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 36% um, from 2019, from up 2019. 12%. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Up 12% from last year. Um, And it made up almost 40%, like you said, of net sales. So anyway, it's doing well, but it's not like everything. Obviously, physical retail is still doing great and the business overall is doing great. Good. Great. (laughs) We'll say good. And Jeff Jeanette said that like like exactly what you're saying, which is that the two sides of the business work better together than they would separately. Um, the other thing, and, and again, like maybe this is just because it's what I was focusing on when I wrote my story, but they have like 30 million like loyalty members that, that shop across both online and, and in-store. Um, I think they said like 70% of all their transactions are like tied to the loyalty program somehow. And like, I don't know if, this would be required, but I would imagine that would you'd split that if you spun it off into a separate company and they've spent so much time like building up this huge like member base and everything. I don't know. I just feel like the less they mess with that, which which they reference several times as being like a key part of their their focus moving forwards is like getting more people into this program and like leveraging the people they already have in there. Um, yeah, I, I, I can see like spinning off the online business, like sort of just splitting that that member base down the middle. Yeah, that's a really good point. And it's almost like <laughs> retail has enough problems right now. Like um, there was talk about the the cost of um, breaking up the two businesses. And um, first of all, of establishing two separate businesses, that's expensive in itself. And then running two different businesses from there, the ongoing expenses, that it doesn't come cheap. So um, to to kind of join forces here um, as one business, it just makes sense. Yeah, yeah. Um, cool. Any other thoughts on Macy's Jill before we say goodbye? No, it's interesting. Your story's getting good traffic. Check it out. For those of you listening, please don't forget to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening to this. Uh, It really helps a lot. And make sure you subscribe to the Glossy Podcast. Not only can you hear my conversations with Jill every Friday, but every Wednesday, Jill has a conversation with some interesting leading figure in the industry. Um, Jill, who who are you talking to next week? Next week, we have a twofer. So we have uh, Josephine Scriver and Jasmine Tukes. They are supermodels, of course, but also the founders of Joja, which is a newer activewear brand. So very fun. 
Great. So that will be on Wednesday and next Friday. You and I will be talking again. If you subscribe to the Glossy Podcast, you will get both of those in the same feed. But we will see you all next week. And thank you for listening. 